isolation. It looks like uh, Gorsuch will not reach the 60-vote margin. As a veteran myself, I tell you, I am thrilled at the President's decision uh, to donate the check he did today. And uh, he has decided, as you know, donate, donate his entire quarter of salary. And we're going to dedicate it and put it against the infrastructure on our nation's battlefields. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, Monday, April 3rd, 2017. Welcome to the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast on opening day for my New York Mets and uh, a big league win actually for the Mets today uh, got a nice six nothing win so uh, whoever you're rooting for good luck this baseball season and we begin um, on a note where we find out more revelations as it pertains to surveillance of President Trump and you know more and more comes out every day I feel like I'm constantly updating the story on Cruiser.com. I guess that's because I am constantly updating this story. And so we found out uh, who the unmasker may be. And that, according to sources to Fox News and to Bloomberg Politics as well, Susan Rice, the former national security advisor under then-President Barack Hussein Obama, requested to unmask the names of Trump transition officials. Those officials obviously incidentally collected Uh, Like Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who was caught up in uh, surveillance of the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak. And now we find out that more information about these unmasked names. Susan Rice allegedly that she's the one who had this whole, uh, had a whole routine of asking for names affiliated with Trump. And now these names are not just Trump and Trump's aides. They happen to be Trump's family members, which is very dangerous. Now, we also know that they were spying on Trump a year before he became the president. So when he was just a regular citizen, a candidate, they were spying on Mr. Trump. Uh, The unmasked names of people associated with Donald Trump, including those family members and later transition team members, were part of incidental surveillance of a political adversary for up to a year before Trump took office. The names were sent to top officials, including National Security Council personnel, some staffers at the Defense Department, former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, Obama's CIA Director John Brennan, and really top intelligence officials. So remember, these names were brought up in the March 20th hearing that James Comey had in front of Congress where he said under oath, he was asked by Trey Gowdy, the Republican from South Carolina, who would have access to such information, and he said these are the people that would have access to that information. Now, as we've gone over, the incidental collection of Trump and his aides, if they were in conversations with 
any foreign national, as is customary from any American citizen, if they are caught up in incidental collection, fine. But what happens is these Americans' names are not released. You're not put in intelligence reporting. They are referred to usually as American number one, American number two. And they're not even supposed to listen to Americans on these conversations or if they are the subject of the conversations. Because American citizens have an expectation of privacy. We have uh, constitutional rights that are, that are supposed to be protected against um, our against a, a search and seizure. And you would need a FISA warrant. Now, we know that Obama did get a FISA warrant in October to surveil President Trump and his aides. So when they say that no surveillance happened, that is not true. Now, a question I have, how come this hasn't been picked up by any other outlet? I don't know. They're not talking about this in the mainstream media. And that is a problem that's problematic, and it goes to show you their agenda. Why aren't they covering the fact that we know that Trump was surveilled by the Obama administration? Why aren't they covering that now there are sources from a well-respected journalist, Adam Housley of Fox News, Bloomberg View columnist Eli Lake had a uh, citing sources today in a column on Bloomberg Politics, saying that these unmasked names included family members. They were requested by Susan Rice on more than one occasion. In fact, uh, Eli Lake writes that on this was a pattern of Susan Rice, that a pattern of, do- uh, pattern of dozens of occasions when Rice requested the identities of U.S. citizens who were incidentally collected in raw intelligence reports. Now, they're not supposed to be unmasked. Any time that an American name is unmasked is very, very rare. And by unmasking an American name, if it's done without proper clearance from top intelligence officials, it is a felony up to 10 years in prison, and it violates the Espionage Act. White House lawyers apparently learned of this activity last month in a National Security Council review of the government's policy on unmasking the identities of American citizens who are communicating with foreign nationals and who are being surveilled by U.S. intelligence agencies. And we also know about the political motive for this. Obama, having uh, thought it was his duty to bring down Trump, you know the vile um, rhetoric that went back and forth and during the campaign. And we know from Friday's reporting that congressional investigators knew the name of at least one person who was unmasking names. That happens to be Susan Rice that we find out today. And we know that it was a political effort. There was someone very, very high up and a political effort that occurred before Trump was a Republican nominee, and we get more and more information every day. And you know FBI Director James Comey said that the leaks of classified information, in general, the, the fact that we know all of this, there are serious federal crimes for a reason. Those behind the leaks should be investigated where possible, prosecuted in a way that reflects the seriousness so people understand it cannot simply be tolerated. This from the FBI director. Of course, he has inserted himself into political conversations. That's he first uh, discussed the Hillary Clinton case openly. He discussed the Russia case openly. We'll get more on that later. Um, which is, I guess, their only defense is to say, well, Russia hacked the election. That's the only reason why Trump is president. Well, that does not give you a right to spy on a citizen because of a political motive 
went ahead, you know, if you're investigating, fine, but if you get an American name, whether it be Trump or someone in his family, if they are, regardless of whether or not they are the subject of, of an investigation, American names are supposed to be protected or their lives get put at risk. And I talked about this on the show yesterday where I said it affects you and me alike because now if this becomes policy where we'll just kind of release American names to anybody, that puts our lives, that puts our family lives in danger. Now, I said families' lives in danger yesterday, not knowing what this would, this bombshell report will come out today saying that Susan Rice not only asked for the names to be released, but also that it had to do with Trump's family. So I didn't know that yesterday, but uh, now we know that this goes very, very deep. And this is up on neilacurso.com, and you can check this out. Um, all the the details of the Obama administration surveillance of a political adversary in Donald Trump, all to gain a political advantage. They gained um, a you know they gained information that could be politically damning. Now Trump is president anyway. But still, if he lost and this came out, you know, and then, of course, you had um, Evelyn Farkas, a former uh, deputy assistant uh, defense secretary. Not even she left in 2015, but she said that she was urging people on Capitol Hill for a, you know, investigation for getting all the intel possible. We know that on the final days of Obama's presidency, he went— he sought uh, a, a trail of intelligence leaks to leave for intelligence officials to undermine Trump. He expanded the power of the NSA to share globally intercepted personal communications with the government's 16 other intel agencies. This is very well documented. Now, let me just remind you, this is what Evelyn Farkas had to say. And then Evelyn Thanks. Farkas, the, the other big story of the day, you actually knew about this uh, attempt to get and preserve information and full transparency were doing some work yourself. Tell us well, about that. Well, I was, I was urging my former colleagues and, and frankly speaking, the people on the Hill, mm -hmm. I, it was more actually aimed, aimed at telling the Hill people, get as much information as you can, get as much intelligence as you can before President Obama leaves the administration, because I had a fear that somehow that information would disappear with the senior people who left. So it would be hidden away in the bureaucracy um, that the Trump folks, if they found out how we knew what we knew about there, the staff, the Trump staff's dealing with Russians, that they would try to compromise those sources and methods, meaning we would no longer have access to that intelligence. So I became very worried because mm. not enough was coming out into the open, and I knew that there was more. We have very good intelligence on Russia. So then I had talked to some of my former colleagues, and I knew that they were trying to also help get information to the Hill. A lot going on today. Yeah. Mark That's Alton. why you have the leaking. Exactly. People are worried. Oh, so people are worried, so let's just do everything that we can to undermine the president. And let's just keep leaking. And she left in 2015. I would not be surprised if she is brought under oath, if she is questioned about this, because she left in 2015, and this is the deputy assistant defense secretary under Obama who is urging political actors to gather intelligence on Mr. Trump, on an incoming administration. So it's very well documented here. And of course, President Trump tweeted out this morning after watching a report on Fox News. This is before the Susan Rice bombshell happened. And people are saying, well, you can't take that 
incredibly. But you know what? President Trump has to tweet that out because if he doesn't tweet that out, no one's even going to talk about it. And, you know, this is how Chuck Todd on MSNBC on Friday, and this is how the media, this is the type of thing that they were focusing on. Take a listen. It's, it's beyond saying it's in crisis mode. It's, you know, it's on the brink. The question is on the brink of what? Is it on the brink of collapse? Is it on the brink of becoming a, a, a temporarily lame duck presidency? And maybe it feels lame duckish temporarily right now. You've got a stalled agenda. Republicans who have no fear of this president right now. Um, they don't think there's a political penalty to buck him. Obviously, the Russia cloud darkens all the time. And all of it, Andrea, of course, all of these problems right now that they are dealing with front and center are self-inflicted by one person, the president of the United States, who couldn't help himself with a tweet on, on this wiretapping nonsense, which, of course, has essentially helped unravel 10 days uh, of, of all things Russia in their uh, in, in their part of this story, then throw in the fact that he's decided to drive a wedge in his own party and go after the Freedom Caucus. Okay, but he's also attacking Democrats at the same time. He's got to go find a governing dance partner, and he's alienating both of his potential dance partners on that front. So on the normal political scale, he's got problems. Throw in the fact that they, you've got a president who cannot accept the fact that Russia interfered in this election. And until he accepts that fact, this story is going to consume him. And my fear, and Andrea, the question to you is this, the world must be panicked that if this president is tested right now, if Western alliances are tested by a Putin in, in the Baltics, by North Korea, is the, pre is the United States prepared to lead in a crisis right now for the world? are hearing uh, the type of rhetoric that we're hearing from uh, the media here. And uh, I apologize, my microphone was off. See, Chuck Todd got me all on a tizzy here, and I'm listening to the uh, dramatic music. Listen, folks, this is what we're hearing. They're sounding the alarms. It's, it's, Trump has a credibility crisis. Okay, this is the stuff that we're going to hear. And uh, the problem is, is that it couldn't be far from the truth. And it's a distraction from... This uh, these felonies that are coming out, and can you can you have any credibility for Susan Rice when she was the ambassador to the United Nations and she went on the Sunday news shows lying about the Benghazi attack being prompted by a video when we knew that they knew that night because of WikiLeaks and the, the reveal of uh, the Hillary Clinton emails showing that Susan Rice and the entire Obama administration knew damn well that it was not the result of a video of that attack. That it was a terrorist attack. Okay. And they're blaming it on a propaganda video. And that night Hillary Clinton is emailing her daughter saying uh, that it is a terrorist attack. That they know what's going on. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. So Susan Rice, we're going to take her. Is she going to make Sunday news show rounds and say, oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't request the names uh, to be unmasked. So, and we have to understand these unmasked names, that is not typical that is something that is a felony to unmask American names that puts our lives in danger so you can check out the story neilacrystal.com but it's unbelievable okay now that they're we find out they're surveilling Trump his age his family and they think that it is their duty to bring down Trump they 
being the Democrats, being the political establishment, being the media. They think he is so vile that probably the reason why the media isn't covering this is because they think that he is so vile that they will do anything to destroy him, that they think this is warranted, that they think that leaking to them, which helps their cause and helps possibly ratings, I don't know, but it helps them and helps their agenda. It helps the agenda, the anti-Trump agenda, and so they're all for it, that if it's going to, if the leaking and the unmasking, you know, if it's only going to harm Trump and his family, oh, no problem. Let's go for it. And they think it is their duty to bring him down. And Chuck Todd and all of these people are supposed to be fair-minded journalists are not. I mean, you hear that. They're in crisis mode. They don't look at this objectively. They don't look at the success that we're going to go, we'll go over a little bit later, that Trump has had in just 74 days. Now, the other big story today, in addition to this, and this surveillance, by the way, not just affecting Trump, this affects all of us, so uh, check it out. Uh, political motivation for surveillance. The Obama administration clearly surveilled President Trump. Everyone thought he was crazy when he tweeted that out on March 4th. And now we know more information, and we're finding out more about uh, the type of surveillance that they did and requesting uh, this unmasking despite being felonies. Unbelievable. And it's really, it's really sickening and outrageous. The other big story today, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted today along party lines to endorse Judge Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court, but it's going to set up a showdown between Dems and Republican senators in a series of final votes expected later this week. Now, it seems like the Democrats are going to go along with Chucky Schumer and say we are not going to endorse um, Neil Gorsuch. Really only because he was nominated by Trump, let's be real here, and anyone that Trump put forth, they'd oppose, and Gorsuch isn't even the most conservative of them all. 20-member committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, they voted 11 to 9 for Gorsuch along party lines. Uh, Chuck Grassley, you're going to hear from him in a moment, said that the nominee's opponents have tried to find a fault with him that will stick, and it just hasn't worked. But this is what Chuck Schumer had to say on the weekend. I forget which show it was, but some, one of the Sunday shows. This is Schumer. Here it looks like uh, Gorsuch will not reach the 60-vote margin. So instead of changing the rules, which is up to Mitch McConnell and the Republican majority, why doesn't President Trump, Democrats, and Republicans in the Senate sit down and try to come up with a mainstream nominee? Look, when a nominee doesn't get 60 votes, you shouldn't change the rules. You should change the nominee. And let's just take, give me one minute here, because this is important. All right. We're not going to give Chuck one more minute because it's not important what he has to say. Because everything that he says is, you know, just we need to oppose this. We need to obstruct that. They don't give Trump a chance. They don't want to hear out different ideas. And they don't want to have dialogue, despite what they say. It's all partisan bullcrap. Now, this is what Chuck Grassley had to say. He's the Republican from Iowa. He slams Democrats and their hypocrisy over this dark money theory. Take a listen to this. This was um, at the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, on Monday morning. I must say these comments strike me as really odd. To hear my friends on the other side tell it, it's only conservatives outside groups 
who are engaged in the nomination process. But we all know that isn't true. It's no secret that there are dozens of advocacy groups on the left who get involved in the nomination process. And there's absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever wrong with that. We call it free speech. A group called the Coalition for Constitutional Values ran ads in support of Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan before their confirmation. The American Constitution Society touted Justice Kagan as a justice, quote, a justice for every American, end of quote. Where did their money come from? I don't know, and I suppose a lot of people think that I shouldn't say I don't care, but this is America, where people can spend their money where they want to spend it. And they can use their money for political speech or any advocacy that they want. And of course, as we see, advocacy groups on, on the left are engaged on this nomination as well. Liberal billionaires like Tom Steyer, George Soros, found their own dark money organizations like Next Gen Climate, a group that describes Judge Gorsuch as, quote, an extreme candidate, wrong for the Supreme Court, under any circumstances, end of quote. Everyone in this room knows that liberal and progressive groups have been pressuring the minority leader to find a reason, any reason, to filibuster the nominee. NARAL has written ads to pressure members to filibuster. We even had, a, had some groups called Progressive Change Campaign Committee target a senior and extremely well-respected Democrat over his quote-unquote squishy comments suggesting he might not filibuster. In short, they've threatened to primary any Democrat who supports the nomination. So Chuck Grassley there uh, from Iowa, the Republican from Iowa, um, on uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee today speaking about Judge Neil Gorsuch. And listen, what do we know about this whole dark money thing? Okay, the entire political establishment funnels money into any cause that they think they need to support or go against. So you're seeing it even with the judge and Gorsuch was asked about it. And he said, listen, I don't know. I cannot engage in that and I have no knowledge of it. And, you know, things uh, they were supporting me without me even knowing about it. Um, not only that, but listen, the American Bar Association, which grades all judges and, and grades all um, uh, nominations to the Supreme Court, which is part of how a president – listen, if you want to talk about the process – this is what happens. The president, before nominating, usually listens to some senators. You know, it is ultimately his choice, but will listen to some politicians. We'll look at the American Bar Association's reports. We'll get reports from uh, other um, publications that are uh, nonpartisan or partisan in nature and make his decision based on that. Now, it is no um, shock to anyone that a cons more conservative-leaning person was nominated to the Supreme Court. You knew that's what you were getting when you got President Trump, and people voted for that. A lot of the exit polls showed 
that that the Supreme Court was a top issue because they wanted to maintain the constitutionality of the Supreme uh, Supreme Court as opposed to a progressive judge like Sotomayor who does not believe that the Constitution is as written. They believe that the Constitution breathes. They believe that the Constitution can be changed, and that is not what conservative justices, more, um, I should say, constitutionalists, believe in. So, is a top record from the American Bar Association. He was fantastic in the hearings. If you listen to him, he's so vanilla. And the, the, like, the thing that they, they were so pissed off about most was that Gorsuch would not say how he would would um, rule on a case, which his whole the whole purpose of these confirmation hearings is to understand the nominee better, to understand if they are um, uh, worthy of it. Clearly, he's worthy of it. He has top ratings on everything, and he has a uh, a exceptional record that you can look at, and you can look at over you know, all of his cases over his career and how he ruled. So these confirmation areas, when they're asking him to prejudge cases, he can't do that. If he was to prejudge a case, that would disqualify him right away. So the questions there just became mundane when they started asking him, well, how would you judge against this and this and this? Well, I can't talk about that. I cannot say whether I um, would rule differently in Roe v. Wade. I can't comment on ongoing cases. Now, there are three Senate Democrats who have announced support for Gorsuch. Um, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, by the way, has been pretty fair-minded in this entire process and has been even fair-minded through the um, cabinet confirmations. Now, of course, these three senators, just so you know, for full clarity, they represent states that Trump won in November and are all up for re-election this year. So you see the politics work. Trump won the state, and they're up for re-election. Well, they cannot oppose Trump's agenda, or they fear that they're going to be bumped out. Now, other Democrats are going along with Senator Schumer. Now, what's going to happen? Number one, Democrats are wrong, okay, because a filibuster is not supposed to be used to delay a confirmation hearing. Now, they're upset that Merrick Garland, Obama's pick for the Supreme Court, was not given a fair hearing. But it was Joe Biden who said that if George W. Bush had a vacancy in the Supreme Court, and it was his last year of a lame duck presidency, he should not nominate anyone. And if he does, then he urged his fellow senators to reject hearing someone to replace a potential vacancy. That was Joe Biden on George W. Bush as it related to the Supreme Court. Now... Republicans said, well, Obama's a lame duck. Let's hope we get a Republican in there. Now, a lot of them were opposed to Trump, but they didn't hear Merrick Garland. It was Obama's last year anyway. They just had a uh, death being Antonin Scalia, who was uh, the, the most well-known constitutionalist conservative um, justice on the Supreme Court. And they said, we're not going to hear Merrick Garland's case. Now, if they lost and Obama pulled Merrick Garland and Hillary Clinton got in there, she would put a more liberal justice on the Supreme Court, and then you would have a real constitutional, then you would have a constitutional crisis because you'd have someone who believes that the Constitution breathes. And when you have someone like Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan who vote uh, against conservatives that really believe that this 
that the law can be changed willy-nilly, you know, those are justices that maybe you should have had more of a, um, a hearing for. But at the same time, Republicans said, listen, we respect the process. You have a Democratic president. We understand that. And let's uh, we'll hear it. And we don't have much of a choice. But when it comes to a lame duck presidency, a little different issue, especially after eight years of, you know, terrible um, carnage in our inner cities of economic crisis under Obama. So Gorsuch is mainstream. Let's not kid yourselves. They just don't want a judge who is more conservative. That don't only vote for a Democrat, and you're not going to get that with President Trump. So move on. Now, you heard in the intro clip from Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez, who campaigned for Democrats in Newark, New Jersey on Friday, telling a crowd that the Republican Party doesn't give a blank about them. Fill in the blank. It starts with an S. And that Donald Trump didn't win the election. And he uh, doesn't stand for our values. Okay? You hear this rhetoric? There, now, Tom Perez, who has teamed up with the uh, deputy DNC chair and uh, Keith Ellison, are both radical people in the DNC party. And they're, they're going to move far left as far left as they can unless Hillary Clinton keeps emerging time and time again. And they're just going to oppose everything that Trump puts forth and try to rally up radicals who are going to punch people and protest and are going to riot and set fires on college campuses. This is what they're doing. They're rallying up people and saying Trump doesn't give a blank about you when, okay, if you really want to talk about what Trump has accomplished for the American people, we can talk about that. You know, in just 74 days of Trump's presidency, he has done more than Obama did practically in eight years. And besides the health care bump uh, in the road, and that will hopefully be dealt with, Trump is moving at the speed of light, and it's going to be up to Congress to, to catch up to him. Congressional Republicans, namely. Now, Trump signed an executive order to protect police officers. I guess Democrats don't want to protect our law enforcement officers. They signed an executive order, Trump did, to target drug cartels. He launched a council for advancement of women entrepreneurs. He called or met with over 30 foreign leaders. He signed an executive order getting out the wasteful um, nonsense regulations that put a strain on our economy. He signed a House joint resolution to help the coal industry and have mining jobs already coming back. He sanctioned Iran over the ballistic missile program, negotiated to lower the price of F-35 fighter jets and the Air Force One. He worked with um, companies like Intel, Ford, General Motors to create jobs, big league jobs that came back, creating over $100 billion in investments and uh, creating and saving over $1.8 million uh, million American jobs. He created a task force to reduce crime. He drafted a plan or has administration drafted a plan to defeat ISIS, which he's putting into fruition. He also launched a five-year lobbying ban on all these establishment politicians and nominated Neil Gorsuch, as he promised, a conservative constitutionalist, to the Supreme Court. So what's there to complain about from the Democrats? What is there to complain about? Now, this week, President Trump has signed a proclamation, National Crime Victims' Rights Week, saying we stand with crime victims and their families. We renew our commitment to safeguarding our communities from crime, and we recognize those who devote their lives to supporting and empowering 
victims and survivors, and uh, names gang-related shootings and the plague of our uh, major cities where violence continues to afflict towns, both small and large, and how we must focus on the plight of crime victims. Now, that's this week, and you have today an attack in Russia. Now, for all the conversation about Russia and our election, you heard Chuck Todd earlier on that. Listen, they've been trying to meddle in our election since the 70s, but when you have now today 11 people died in an apparent terror attack after a bomb exploded on a subway train traveling between uh, two stations in St. Petersburg, Russia, you have something... If you want to talk about globalist policies, well, you have something that is really um, alarming that's going on. Is terror attacks consistently taking place around the world. 45 people hospitalized, 11 people dead, at least. The Russia's uh, investigative committee called it an undetermined explosive device and an apparent terror attack. President Trump did respond, uh, saying that's terrible, uh, happening all over the world, absolutely a terrible thing. And it is happening all over the world. And so, you know, for all the conversation about Russia, well, why don't we recognize these victims and say, hey, listen, we need to do something about our borders. We need to work together. We're going to come together across countries. You know, it would be nice if President Trump could actually uh, deal with our allies and maybe team up with Putin and, yes, team up with Putin in getting rid of radical Islamic terror. We're going to talk about um, Trump met with the Egypt president. We'll talk about that uh, coming up. But, you know, how is this affecting us here at home? Because all of that is connected. You have to understand that all of this connects to when President Trump says, listen, we need to enforce our immigration law. If you don't belong here, you come in here illegally, and we don't know who you are, and you're coming from all over, not just Mexico, but El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala. And we went over these statistics yesterday of sanctuary cities and illegal immigrant crime and who's in our jails. We're spending money on all these illegals. We're taking up our, our jails and we're giving them uh, housing. And we have a problem where we have no documentation because they don't provide it to us of illegal immigrants. They come in here. I should really say illegal aliens. They come in here and if some of them have bad intentions, you know, you're having MS-13 gang members and rapists and murderers and drug dealers and wife beaters. You had someone behead their mother this month, or last month, I should say, in March. All of that happens and from illegal immigrants who were deported previous times. And that's all in, you know, weekly reporting. But now ABC News is reporting that tensions are flaring over immigration enforcement between local police and President Trump's Department of Homeland Security. Now, the Trump administration's stance towards sanctuary cities apparently is, well, we know it's angering mayors who should be, you know, you heard we played a clip of Sheriff Thomas Hodgson of, um, of uh, Bristol County, Massachusetts, yesterday saying sanctuary city mayors, they should be thrown in jail. And so we know that these Politicians are angered over it. Now they're saying that some law enforcement officials have reached a boiling point, according to ABC News, that law enforcement and Homeland Security officials are um, got into a battle on Thursday as um, Homeland Security tried to communicate the, the ending of sanctuary city policy to enforce immigration laws. And this was a source of disagreement. I don't know why it should be so common sense that we just enforce our laws. We're a country of laws, 
enforce them. That, you know, if I commit a crime, I'm put in jail. If an illegal alien commits a crime, they're released. That doesn't make sense. And this is how crazy this is that the particular source of disagreement, according to ABC News sources, is over federal officials' insistence that local police detain unauthorized immigrants beyond their sentences until immigration agents can pick them up for deportation, a move that some law enforcement officials argue is illegal. No, it is not illegal. And I'll go through the law in a second as they did on yesterday's show, but hold on, let me ask you a basic question. You have an illegal alien detained for committing a crime. All they have to do is hold them maybe a day, maybe two days for our Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, to go and pick them up from the local law enforcement and put them on trial as we would any other person. And they get their rights and all that. But that's what the law states. But you won't, but they're complaining. They're actually whining and complaining that they have to, oh, how are we, why would we hold them for you? Well, because that's federal laws, the Supreme Court, the Supremacy Clause in the Constitution. And because our immigration laws have to be enforced. And what, you can't just hold somebody for a day? I mean, that's, that's how pathetic this is, that they don't want to detain someone for a day and hold someone over, that they arrested for a crime. They're just going to let them go because they, they can't bother to wait for a day. Now, a Homeland Security spokesman said that the meeting had some areas of disagreement, but it was a productive exchange. Um, let me just go over, though. You have approximately 2.1 million illegal immigrants or uh, and legal immigrants with criminal convictions living free or behind bars in the U.S. Each year, 900,000 immigrants, legal and illegal, are arrested. ICE estimates that 1.2 million criminal aliens are at large in the U.S. And we're opposing and forcing our laws when U.S. Code 1373 states that no state or local entity can in any way restrict its law enforcement officials from communicating with federal immigration authorities regarding an individual's citizenship or immigration status. This was included, by the way, in a law enacted by President Bill Clinton in 1996, the Immigrant uh, Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. And Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says that it is the U.S. federal government's responsibility to protect states against invasion. But then you have this on MSNBC. I can't believe they put this crap on there. Al Sharpton, the uh, radical civil rights leader, with uh, New Jersey Mayor Ross Baraka, uh, Newark, New Jersey Mayor, uh, on MSNBC, and listen to this. He calls it, he compares sanctuary cities to slavery. That's how nuts they are. They're just enforcing the laws, has some racial undertone, has nothing to do with race, but take a listen to this nonsense. But the president has gone out of his way, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, uh, saying they actually threaten mayors like right. you of sanctuary cities. They're going to cut off certain funding. Right. I mean, why are they targeting and how do you respond? Well, I think that 
them targeting sanctuary cities is a way uh, for them to tell mayors and other folks, uh, you know, around the country, uh, one, that they're sticking to uh, what, what I think is a very unconstitutional and un-American policy uh, and uh, trying to intimidate us uh, into being what I've called fugitive slave catchers, the run around and do their bidding uh, in our cities. And if we refuse to do that, uh, then it makes it difficult for them to, to continue their policy because they don't have the resources to kind of run down all of the uh, undocumented residents uh, locally. Now, when we talk about undocumented uh, residents locally that have sanctuary in certain cities like Newark and, and et cetera, we are not just talking about Mexican-Americans. I mean, right. in Newark, Absolutely. we're talking about people from the Caribbean. We're talking about people from Africa. We're That's talking right. about people. And I, and I think that they've tried to racial stereotype this as a Mexican border issue when you're giving sanctuary to people from many places who have married and had children in your city. And that's the problem. That is precisely the problem, Al Sharpton. And if you really want to be part of the solution, then you will start having a discussion with people that have disagreements with you and say it is a matter of enforcing our laws so American citizens don't die at the hands of people who do not belong here. And then for the Newark mayor, Ross Baraka, he says that it is, quote, fugitive slave catchers, sanctuary city, uh, uh, anti-sanctuary city policy, and withholding federal funding, that it is uh, comparing that to slavery seriously it has nothing to do with race. And Al Sharpton's right about one thing. It doesn't have anything to do with Mexico. And nobody said that it did. Because what did I just say? Where are they coming from? Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala. Look at the list that was put out, the weekly list, the two weekly lists that show that these mayors and uh, city officials are disobeying federal law. And what happens? And who is being arrested by ICE? Murderers, rapists, gang members, drug dealers— all people that do not belong out in a community, and if they were American citizens, they would have to be jailed. But because they're illegal aliens and it fits their political agenda, they need to be supported and protected. It makes zero sense. Explain to me, folks. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. How could... You not enforce the laws and let American citizens die. When you see the stats here, just this past month, a rape in a high school bathroom, a beheading of a mother, a sexual assault of a two-year-old, and the list goes on. Unbelievable. Uh, check out our site, by the way, not just for the surveillance story, but also on Sanctuary Cities. We lay it out very clearly. Matter of common sense, folks. It really is. And the surveillance? Unbelievable. And it's really scary and disgusting what's going on. And at least we're talking about it, right? So we're going to come back. We'll tell you about how President Trump's meeting went with the Egyptian president and how it's a massive change from the Obama administration policy. Plus, he threatens China, President Trump does, in how they will deal with North Korea, giving them in ultimatum. Plus, Veneer Mets look fantastic today. Opening day, we're 1-0, baby. That when we come back, the Neil A. Cruz's Show podcast rolls along on this Monday.
opening up the dialogue. It's the Neely Caruso Show Podcast. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Are not. M2. Are not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Making the connection and making the difference. I'm appreciative where you're talking about, but it helps a lot of people, not only myself. Neely Crusoe is on the air to serve you, the American people. Log on to NeelyCrusoe.com so you never miss your real deal news and subscribe to the Neely Crusoe Show podcast on iTunes. Neil connects the dots and cuts the red tape so you stay one step ahead of everyone else. The Neely Crusoe Show podcast. All right, Monday, we roll along on the new week. So, President Trump today met with the Egyptian president, al-Sisi, at the White House, uh, praising him for doing a fantastic job, a, quote, fantastic job, and pledging U.S. support. Al-Sisi, by the way, um, and Trump were um, expected to discuss uh, the two ways that the countries can collaborate in the fight against terrorism, as well as a bolster Egypt's economy. Al-Sisi believes that he can eradicate radical Islamic terrorism, and obviously we'll need the United States support in that. President Trump has said we must eradicate radical Islamic terrorism. Mike Pence has been out there saying that we are going to, and that President Trump is committed to doing that, and everything he, he um, that is number one on the list, I mean, it has to be. Uh, you see what's going on around the world. And the Egyptian president uh, held Trump, vowed to work with the U.S. to, quote, counter this evil ideology that is claiming innocent lives, that it's bringing devastation to our communities and nations, and that it's terrorizing the innocent people. And, and that is very, very true. And we saw London, we saw Berlin, we've seen Brussels, San Bernardino, the Boston bombing, the list goes on. And what is it going to take? Is it going to take another 9-11? We've already seen them. It's enough already, and we must defeat this radical group. And it's the ideology that is king in Egypt is a key player here. Now, just to give you a little background, Trump and al-Sisi did meet in September during the presidential campaign. Al-Sisi was the first foreign leader to reach out to Trump after his November win against Hillary Clinton. Trump had no problem meeting foreign leaders. He met with the Mexican president. He's been very unified in trying to uh, bring together other nations if they're going to join in in defeating radical Islam. Now, a little background here. The military overthrew Egypt's first post-revolution president, the popularly elected 
Mohamed Morsi, a Muslim Brotherhood member. Al-Sisi now has cracked down on political Islamists. Al-Sisi also has shown a heavy hand to Egyptians who have deemed this presidency illegitimate, often relegating human rights concerns to national security. The Obama administration, to give you some knowledge on this in case you don't know it, in Egypt, Obama gave Mohamed Morsi, the former Muslim Brotherhood head who became president but is now in prison for murder, F-16s, tanks, and $1.5 billion in taxpayer funds. That's right. Our taxpayer dollars went to a terrorist, Mohamed Morsi, the former Muslim Brotherhood head, who is now in a prison. Al-Sisi then took over after him. But this whole uprising in Egypt, thanks to Barack Obama being a player in there. Just to give you a little, keep you informed of how that's going on. And then, you know, the situation in Israel where Obama actually funneled taxpayer money to defeat Benjamin Netanyahu, who has been the biggest ad, uh, the biggest ally in the U.S., for the U.S. And obviously President Trump has recommitted his pledge to work with Israel, the only democratic nation in the Middle East. And now Egypt is a player in the Arab world, and we need them. In terms of China and North Korea, President Trump said in an interview um, with um, with a uh, what is it, the Financial Times, uh, he said, "If China is not going to solve North Korea, we will." As he prepares for the meeting with Xi Jinping later this week, Trump issued uh, issued China with an ultimatum that if he fail if he fails to put pressure on North Korea. To disable its nuclear program, then the U.S. is prepared to take action against Pyongyang on its own. He says, well, if China is going to solve North Korea, we will. Great. Because North Korea is expected, we have a feeling that they're still doing missile tests and that another one is, is going to come soon. And... Now, he was asked how he's going to tackle North Korea specifically. He goes, why would I tell you? Not going to give my strategy away so that they know. And North Korea is a major problem for not only us, but other countries. And China needs to step up here. Not only are they a uh, currency manipulator, but they also send a lot of problems to our country in terms of um, economic problems, but also um, national security issues. And so that's going to be discussed uh, Thursday and Friday in Mar-a-Lago when Xi Jinping meets with President Trump. They're expected to discuss North Korea's, uh, North Korea, China's ambitions in the South China Sea, and trade. And we know that in terms of uh, trade, they uh, are they have the uh, innovative sector there and a lot of money that is stored overseas that Trump wants to repatriate here and invest in the United States. And there's speculation. As I mentioned, that North Korea could conduct another North uh, nuclear missile test to coincide with the talks. So, uh, this conversation will be crucial. And if we can get China to work with us, and listen, China, though, on a national security front, next to Russia, China is some is a place that many politicians are sleeping on right now. And they're dangerous. And we need to make sure that we establish a relationship with them that also is based on the fact that the United States are going to stand strong and that they're not going to bend down to anyone and that 
uh, Trump by saying, by issuing an ultimatum that he will deal with North Korea on his own if he has to. And it seems like he's doing everything on his own because Washington isn't helping him. And, you know, in order to disable this nuclear program to defeat ISIS, if you want to join the team, join it. We're going to win without you anyway to join the team. Um, now, at the White House today, President Trump donated his first salary check to the National Park Service. Mr. Trump pledged in the campaign to donate his entire $400,000 salary as president's charity. Now, he has to collect it because that is in the Constitution. So he does have to collect the charity, but then, or has to collect the salary, excuse me, and then he uh, wrote a check, $78,333, the amount cut by the Treasury for the pay period that began with the inauguration on January 20th. Uh, he sent that to the National Park Service that is going to be uh, dedicated to put against the infrastructure on our nation's battlefields, no- noting that the battlefield memorials need millions of dollars in infrastructure upkeep. Uh, so President Trump not taking a cent. He's not beholden to anyone but the American people who voted him in, and he's accountable to you. So I want to tell you about that. And the nice thing that he did last night, the White House— was lit up in the color blue uh, in honor of World Autism Awareness Day. Press Secretary Sean Spicer uh, said last week that it was a promise uh, to the late wife of his friend Bob Wright that he would illuminate the White House in blue if he won the election um, to uh, urge Americans uh, to uh, support uh, those with uh, autism spectrum disorders to understand the challenges they face and to do what they can do to support individuals with uh, autism, which uh, is all too common today, and and in the fight against that, uh, which is um, way too common. Uh, many people born with autism, and it's uh, it's really uh, a sad issue um, that many people face. Uh, different uh, all across the spectrum disorder too. Uh, so President Trump uh, did a nice thing on that. So I did want to mention that. But a lot going on in terms of surveillance. And uh, listen, that's going to be the main story um, this week. As we get more details, Susan Rice, amazingly, um, you know, she's the one that's pushing the Benghazi video. And we find out that she's the one, according to sources, that unmasked names not only Trump and his aides, but his family, putting lives at risk. So check out that story at what a game, by the way, today for the New York Mets, who won 6 nothing on opening day. My Mets. Um, nice win. Syndergaard looked good. Had to get my sports in there because I love my Mets. Uh, so I was very happy. It's like a holiday for me, opening day. And you know, by the way, just one last note before we do finally close things out. The Country Music Awards last night, fantastic. No politics, just good music, wholesome music, and uh, jokes that uh, were not aimed to harm at all. That's what the celebrity snowflakes should be doing. Just stick to what you do, entertain. And it was all fun, all in good fun. Uh, we'll continue. We'll stick to the politics, because that's what we do on here. So we'll see you tomorrow on the Neil A. Cruz Show podcast. Check out neilacruz.com. Until then, God bless you. God bless America. The Neil A. Cruz Show podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media. And log on to neilacrusoe.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.